Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for bringing us back safely um, and with full bellies to this afternoon meeting. We ask that your Holy Spirit will be outpoured on each heart that is here, and specifically Pastor Goya as he shares. May his words be straight from you, Lord, and touch our hearts in the way that each of us needs to be spurred forward. We praise you for the sunshine that you've given us in this next uh, little bit with Pastor Goya. And in your heavenly name we pray, amen. All right, Pastor Goya, the time is yours. Again, I'm glad to be with you, and I'm glad when we finish, because then I'm going to go home and be with my wife, even better. <laughs> um, as we start, I'm going to try to talk about one of the most simple subjects in theology that we all know very well, and we think that we master the subject, but it seems that it's a subject that we all struggle with. And... Uh, I call it incredible grace. We all think that we understand grace and God's grace is beyond human understanding. And I'm going to try to... Can you hear in the back? Because I have a tendency to try to scream. I'm not sure that you can hear. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start with four stories. And I want you to tell me the difference between the first two stories and the last two stories. Okay. Um, Long ago, before I was in ministry, my wife and I had quite a few businesses, not only one or two, not big, but one of them, we had a little enterprise making clothing and uh, uh, bed sets and towels and swimming suits and uh, sport suits and all type of clothing. And in that time, we also had a big garden. We love gardening. If you have a garden, you are my friend already. Before I know you, you know, I, I love gardening. Uh, remember, when God created Adam and Eve, he could have given them a million gifts. He gave them one gift, and that was a garden. He must have had a reason for that. Uh, so, I love gardening. And so, we had a big garden. And we had about, I would say, maybe one acre or less, only strawberry, strawberries. And then we had corn, so much that you'll get lost in the corn. And we had orchard of fruit trees, and we had about 50, 60, I don't know, tomato plants, and we had maybe about 40, 50 eggplants, and we had maybe 100 pepper plants, and we had so much, you will not believe. And we went to the garden, but they asked me to do some evangelistic meetings with the local church, the local pastor. And so we went to the garden to pick up some strawberries and came home. And we had to run to do evangelism. But we were so dirty from the garden that we took a shower and had no time to wash the kids. And kids, when they go to the garden and they eat strawberries, and they become like little pigs, you know, dirty all over. And so... Man, this train. And so we had no time to wash the kids. 
and the church was just like from here to there, just a few homes from our place. So we talked to the neighbor. Hey, we have to run. I do evangelism. Would you watch our kids? And she said, absolutely. I'm going to take my kid, go over, and they will play together. Good. She didn't. She got a phone call, and she spent one hour talking. And she left our kids alone. But we harvested several buckets of strawberries, and we had a few containers that were like this shape and deep, full of strawberries. And our kids knew that we shared with the neighbors. But in that time, during communism, the communist government used to turn the electricity off four hours a day, every day, to save energy. And they would turn the electricity and they would turn the water off. So we taught our kids, when you go to the bathroom, you flush, okay? If it doesn't clean, you do it again. If it doesn't clean, you take the toilet brush and clean it after yourself and then you flush again. And if the water is off, there is a bucket of water here, use this one. Well, the kids said, dad said that we should share. They invited all the kids from the neighborhood. They all ate strawberries, what is okay. And then they found honey and they ate honey. And then they found some nice boiled corn and they ate corn. And then they went back to strawberries and then back to honey and then water and then corn. And you get the picture? What happened in their stomach? And then, then all the neighborhood decided that they need to go out, but then the water was turned off. And the kids left, and my two kids, our two kids, they look and they said, Dad said that we should flush, but there is no water. But he said that we could use the toilet brush. I don't want to be too descriptive in the sermon, but the week before, my wife and I painted the whole house. It was fresh and nice. And our youngest kid, three years old, through the toilet brush, tried to clean. He says, this is a better color than my mom's paint. Let's paint the house. And the oldest one says, it's too dark. We need some red. Let's put it in the strawberries. Toilet, strawberries, walls. Toilet, strawberries, walls. Toilet, strawberries, walls. Until they painted everything to this level because they could not reach higher. When we came home, the smell, you could feel it from far away. When we entered the house, he was in front of the door with the toilet brush. Mommy, can you paint from here up? My wife started to cry. I started to laugh. I said, I did it too, but they passed me. They do better than me. <laughs> My wife says, are you laughing instead of punishing them? I said, well, why, why, why would I punish them? We had to move out of the house and pay a team to scratch the dirt all the way to the brick. It was a brick house because the smell was in the wall. And after a week of scratching, then to apply new mud and then to paint. And then, I mean, it was a whole remodeling process all over again. My wife got sick. She was angry. She was frustrated. She's the calm one. She's always, I don't know how she could be so calm. I don't have as much patience as she does. But at this point, I was laughing, you know. And my wife says, what do you do? So I took the kids and I talked to them. And I said, listen, I did a lot of stupid stuff. And my father forgave me. And I forgive you too. 
Just don't do it again. Now, this is the first picture, okay? I'm going to give you the second picture. We had a neighbor, before I was a pastor, when, I, when we had the sewing business, the, the clothing business, we had a neighbor that he had a clothing business, and he was also a Seventh-day Adventist in the same church, singing in the same choir. And he had a sewing business. We made a large profit. When I say large, a little bigger than people could imagine. A large profit every day. A gigantic profit. He made nothing for the last six months. He had no salary. He came begging for help. I have no money. I cannot pay my bills. I have no food. I have two little girls. Would you please help us? I gave him 50,000 meters double cloth. Basically like this and like that. So basically 100,000 meters of cloth material. So he would have enough work for more than three months for his business. If he had to pay me for that, it would have been a treasure. And he says, I'm not sure if I'll be able to pay you. I said, you don't need to pay me. It's a gift. Work it. And from the profit, invest so you could have more from now on. Next day, I had the economical police searching my house to put me in prison. And in Romania in that time, if you came missing in your inventory, you would either pay or go to prison. And they said to me, we know you are stealing cloth. I said, I'm not stealing. Well, we know. How do you know? We know that you are going to be 50,000 meters short. I said, no, I'm not going to be any meter short. They checked everything, and everything was in the books as in the inventory. Perfect to the penny, to the inch, perfect. And they said, we cannot understand. I said, how did you get this information? Well, your neighbor said that if you gave him 50,000, how much do you steal to be able to give him 50,000 and you don't even feel it? How much do you have? That's the reason he doesn't have a job. Because you took all the market and you steal all the cloth and you cover the whole city and the whole country. And da, da, da. He went to the police to turn me in after I helped him. Gave him a free gift. You follow me? And I said, no, 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 no. I didn't steal it. I paid for my... It was grace for him. It was free grace, cheap salvation for him. But it was not cheap for me. Because this is the receipt. Yesterday... After I gave him the material, I paid from my pocket and I cut a receipt and I put the money in the inventory for what I gave him free. Basically, I paid one time when I purchased it from the factory and now I paid second time to give it to him. You follow me? And so I paid for it myself. They said, nobody does that. I said, well, yes, God does it. And I'm trying to somehow do a little too. And then I told the police officers, I said, I want to give you something too. I didn't say that before you check me because you think that it's a bribe. Now after you check me and everything is perfect, now I want to give you a gift because I know you are poor and you have children. Take here some towels and take some clothing and take some, I didn't give them money, for your children so you would be covered, some sh this and that. And I said, I gave it to you after you verified me to know that I'm not trying to bribe you. This is a gift. Next week, the police arrested my neighbor. He went, he sold, instead of working, he sold the material and gambled it and lost it. He was hoping that he's going to win and double it, and he lost everything playing poker. He gambled it all and lost it. But he, they had in the 
papers that he got 50,000 ma meters material, so they expected the government in communism, they expected him to turn in 40% or 50 or 60, whatever it was the law, profit to the government. And he didn't, so they checked him, and he was 50,000 meters short. And he told them, I gambled it and I lost it. And they put him in prison because he could not pay for it. So his wife came to me and said, I am desperate. My husband is in prison. I have two girls. What am I going to do? So I paid a third time for my material. Do you follow me for the 50,000 meters? <laughs> and bail for him and got him out of prison. Did you hear what I said? My wife and I talked and my wife said, he doesn't deserve it. I said, he certainly doesn't. But we don't do that for him. We do that for God. Hello, did you hear what I said? God asked me to do that because I need to be like Jesus. We do that for God, not for him. Well, because his wife came and asked for help, he beat his wife physically. About a year or two later, they divorced because he left the church and he left her and he went to the different woman. And I tell you, I hate to say what I say, but she was better off after. I don't want to go in any details, but so this is the third story. I'm going to give you one more that is an imaginary story. Never happened. Okay. I read it on the internet. <laughs> so it cannot be true. <laughs> okay. A parking officer sees a nurse coming from the hospital and he says, you are five minutes late. And he gives her a parking ticket. He says, please, please, please. I had to stay for a patient. Please, please don't find me. No, the law is the law. Parking ticket. A week later, he has a car accident. And he goes to hospital. When he wakes up, he had a hand surgery. They had to put his hand back. He sees the, 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 things, the things around the hand. And then he sees a bandage on his chest. You may know the story. It's... It, it's a funny story anyway. He says, I don't remember hurting my chest. Why would I have a bandage on my chest? And then he wants to see what's there. And they didn't shave him before putting the bandaid. And that is sticky. So when you have to pull your hair, it's not very pleasant. And he uh, pulls it. No surgery. But then he sees with permanent marker on the back of the bandage. This is a gift from the nurse that you gave a parking ticket. What's the difference between the first two stories and last two stories? First two stories, the strawberry and the kids and my neighbor. And the last two stories, you remember? No, the strawberry. And then the last two stories, the, the neighbor and the parking officer. What, what's the difference between them? How do, you, how, do you, how do you separate the stories? You see grace in some stories, and you see revenge in the other stories. Do you follow me? Paying off. Did he deserve that band-aid? Oh, yes. Did my neighbor deserve to go to prison? Oh, yes. He was a stinker. Do we deserve to be punished? Do we deserve death? Yes or no? How many of us are holy? Except politicians, nobody else. Politicians never do anything wrong. We all deserve to die. The Bible says that we all, for short of the glory of... We, the Bible says in Romans that all have sinned, period. Except God, all have sinned. Okay? So we all deserve to die. 
Jesus never sinned. He died for us. And we sinners have to live because he paid for us. Okay? And then, very simple. Jesus says, forgive our, this is how you should pray. Forgive our sins just as we this is a tough one. It's easy when nobody has done anything against you or they have done small things against you. But when people create pain in your life, it's a tough one. I don't want to share with you some of my stories, but we all have been there, more or less. Now, I want you to understand, to forgive doesn't mean to, to, to enable. Hello? Did you? Oh, he beat you one time, let him beat you again because that's Christian way. No. He abused the kid, let him do it again. No. He deserves prison, let them go to prison. You follow me? To forgive is not to hate, to be able to help them when they need help, to pray for their salvation, you follow me? But not to enable, not to create the opportunity for them to do it again. Because Jesus says, if your neighbor did something against you, Leave him alone, pray for him, and let him do it again. Does Jesus say that? Go to him. Talk to him. If he doesn't listen, listen carefully. If he doesn't listen, you, what do you do? You take another one. Why do you take another one? Very simple. So it's a witness. No. In the Bible, it's not to witness. So he, I have a witness that I talk to him. It's so he will keep you neutral. Because every story has two sides. And you have a tendency to be biased, to see your, your part. Take another one that is neutral, that would keep you unbiased. You follow me? If he doesn't listen, talk to the church. Not to criticize, but to pray and to try to turn him around. If he doesn't listen, Jesus says he should be for you like a pagan. You know what that means? Not to hate. That's where you have a problem. They're called to love the neighbor. They're called to love the stranger. They're not called to hate the neighbor. To be like a pagan meant in Jewish culture not to do business with. To limit your interaction. If he has deceived you one time, it's your, his fault. If he deceives you second time, it's your fault. Because you should limit the interaction. If he de de deceives, I'm not going to do business again, so you cannot deceive me again. I am learning my lesson. But that doesn't mean that I hate you or I criticize you or you follow me. It means that I forgive you, but I'm not going to do business with you. If you don't keep a secret, I forgive you, but I'm not going to tell you something again. Because we got to be wise. So Jesus says, limit your interaction. Don't enable them. Don't create the possibility. Put limits, put barriers between you and them, but forgive them. What if they don't ask forgiveness? Doesn't matter. That's between them and God. You forgive them because Jesus asked you to do so. Now listen carefully. My subject is not forgiveness. My subject is grace. But I want to take this example to show you how God deals with you and with me to talk about grace, not about forgiveness. So Jesus says, after you talk to them, if they don't change, da, 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 da. And Peter wants to be a little smarter. And he says, well, the Pharisees say that we should forgive three times. How many times should we forgive? Seven. And Jesus says, 70 times seven. Where is he coming from? Because in the Bible, if you say seven times seven, 
is 49, the 50th year is the year of forgiveness, the jubilee, where the slaves were freed, the property swam back, the debt was forgiven. I would understand, but Jesus says, 70 times 7. Where is he coming from? Some people could say, well, from the prophecy of Daniel, the time that was given to the Jewish people, 70 times 7, you remember? But it was something else. If you think about in the Bible, in Genesis, the great-grandchild of Cain, Lamech, the first one that invented polygamy, first one in the Bible that had two wives, you remember? He killed somebody, and he goes to his wife's plural, and he says, Cain has killed somebody, and he will be revenged seven times. Lamech has killed somebody, and he will be revenged 70 times seven. And in the Jewish culture, they have created a tradition that they know, and you can find it, in, it's in their tradition, if somebody does something against you, you forgive three times. But if somebody does more, you revenge 70 times seven to teach them a lesson. And Jesus says to Peter, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And Peter responds very strange. He says, increase our faith. What is the connection between faith and forgiveness? You need faith to be forgiven. It's by faith. You need to believe. And you need faith to forgive. Because you need to believe that God will deal with it. God will heal you and God will deal with them. You follow me? Now I want you to understand. Increase our faith. And Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you say to the tree, move, and it jumps, it uproots itself and jumps into the ocean. What's the connection with, we thought when he talks about mustard seed, he talks about faith. No, he talks about grace and forgiveness. If you have faith, you can forgive, and you say to the tree, move, and he jumps. I'm not going to go too much there. Remember, God talks in the Bible that God throws our sins at the bottom of the ocean, Mariana Trench. The deepest place, and then he puts a no fishing sign above, above, you know. And so, if God throws your sins at the bottom of the ocean, he wants you to throw their sins at the bottom of the ocean. You follow me? Now, let's talk a little about it. Grace. Un unbelievable grace. Jesus says, because Peter could not understand 70 times 7, this is too much. Jesus says, there was a man who owed to the king 10,000 talents. What is 10,000 talents? 10,000 talents, if you do the math, if you go back in history and do the math, 10,000 talents, let me explain a little. One denary was the salary, was four grams of silver, not gold, silver, was the salary for one Roman soldier for one day work. One denary? is the salary for one day. Now listen carefully. One talent was 30 kilograms of gold. That was 67 pounds of gold. And it was 16 years salary. 16 years salary, one talent. 10,000 talents was 300,000 kilograms of gold, 670,000 pounds of gold, 160,000 years of work salary. How much? 
160,000 years. I want you to, 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 to process this. 160,000 years. How many lives if you live 80 years, but you cannot work until you are, some people do work. How many lives do you have to live and not pay bills and not eat in order to pay 10,000 talents debt? I don't know if we get the picture. But whatever you do, you'll never be able to pay Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Whatever you do, you'll never be able to pay for Jesus' sacrifice. And whatever you do, you'll never be able to pay for salvation. You can never pay 160,000 years of gold debt. And he goes to the master, and the master says, you got to go to prison. Please, he says, forgive me, and I will pay you back. Did you hear what I said? Or let me repeat. Please forgive me, and I will pay you back. What is wrong in this sentence? Two things are wrong. Number one, you cannot pay back. But number two, this good Christian doesn't understand what grace is. He says, forgive, and I pay back. If it's forgiveness, it's grace. If you pay back, it works. He mixes the two. If you are forgiven, you are forgiven. You don't have to pay back because you are forgiven. If you have to pay back, there's no forgiveness. You follow me? He says, forgive me, and I will pay back. He doesn't understand what forgiveness really means. He prays for forgiveness, but he doesn't believe that he's forgiven, and he doesn't know how forgiveness works. And because he doesn't understand, number one, how much he owes, how much he has no clue of the magnitude of his debt. He, he oh, I got to, I'm going to pay back. He doesn't understand how much pain he has created. He doesn't understand how much Jesus has paid, because he doesn't understand the gigantic, the, 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 the magnitude of his debt. He says, oh, forgive me, and I'll pay you back. And he not only doesn't understand how big is his sin, how big is his debt, he doesn't understand that he cannot pay back, but he doesn't understand how it works. He says, oh, I'm going to pay back for it. Because this Christian doesn't understand God, he's not able to forgive the other one. Because then his brother owes him 100 dinari. That's three months' work. He owes 160,000 years work and the other one owes him three months work. And he gets him and chokes him to death. Oh, you got to pay. Please forgive me and I'll pay you back. This guy also doesn't understand grace. I'll pay you back. Forgive me if you are forgiven. It's like the rich young ruler. What can I do to inherit? You don't do to inherit. You belong. Forgive me and I pay you back. And because he doesn't forgive his brother, the master puts him in jail. He says, you know what? I'm not going to forgive you either. And then Jesus ends the parable. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. All you have done, erased like you never did. Don't forgive and you'll not be forgiven. With the measure you judge, with the same measure you'll be judged. You follow me? Therefore, in order to have power to be wise, to know how to forgive and how not to enable, and how to trust God, that God is just and he will deal with it. In order to have the power to do that, we in human nature, we cannot understand that and we cannot do that. We need God's love. We need to be filled. It says in the Bible that God has poured his love in us. We need to understand God, how he works. And the more we understand how much he has forgiven me, 
And the more we believe that actually we are forgiven, debt free, we don't have to pay back, the more we are able to forgive others and to show them grace. To the degree that you understand the grace you have received, to the same degree you can share grace to others. You follow me? Therefore, good people, good Christians that cannot share grace is not because they are bad. It's just because they don't fully understand the grace they have received. Let me explain. I was in a district somewhere. And when I got there, there was a tall, old lady, 92 years old, sharp, like the best knife in the world. She was smart. She was a businesswoman. She owned so many apartments. I don't remember, 400, I don't, that doesn't matter. 100, 3,000 apartments, I don't know. She owned a musical store. She owned a dealer. She owned, she had money. And when I got into the district, she, tall, slim, this back, you know, she came to me, she put her finger in my nose, looking down to me, I'm short, young man, I am God here. I said, hey, good to see, good to, nice to meet you, God. How are you doing? She says, stop joking. I said, why not? You joke, why, why not me? She says, I'm not joking. Whoa. He says, you do what I say, and you'll do well, and you'll stay here. You don't do what I say, I'm going to move you. Well, my father taught me that we should not have fear. If you are afraid, you don't have a God. From Genesis to Revelation, Again and again, God says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. And let me explain a little. At the Red Sea, don't be afraid. When Israel started to scream, oh, at Jericho, do not be afraid, be courageous, I am with you. At, again and again, until Revelation. In Revelation, chapter 13, it says, these people will not go to heaven. It's a list of people who will not go to heaven. And top of the list are people who are afraid. God's love cast away any fear. If you have God's presence and your God is real, you have no reason to be afraid. Okay? And so my father taught me, if the Communist Party comes to you and says, give up God, don't be a chicken, be a lion. He says, I would rather die as a lion than live as a chicken. He says, get your shoulders back, get your head up and say, I'm the son of the king. You can do whatever you want. I will follow my God. And my father said, they may question you, they may beat you. Get your back straight. Don't be a chicken. And so when the lady said to me, I'm going to move you. I got my back straight, my head up, and I said, God is my king. If he moves me, I want to move. If he keeps me here, you move. <laughs> She says, young man, I've been elder for 70 years. I moved 17 pastors before you. <laughs> I'm going to move you too. You are nobody. And then she said, you just cross me one time and you'll see. Later I learned that she paid for the academy dorms, that she paid for the camp meeting grounds, that she paid in cash for the building for the local church, that she pays the bills, that basically everybody worships her because if not, she'll stop paying. And she wanted me to worship her, you know. I don't worship image, you know, image. So I'd and so I visited her. I loved her. I talked to her. But we had a board meeting. And she, as usually, started to 
call people names and she told them, I want you to send so much money to India. And they said, well, that church sent 2,000, that church sent 3,000, that church sent... Why would we send 65,000? We need to fix the water heater, we need to fix the roof. Let's send them 2, 3, 5, 10,000, but not 65 as you wish. I gave you the money, you send it all. If not, you'll never see money from me again. And I said, oh, 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 slow down. You don't tell them what to do. I want you all to get a piece of paper, write down how much you think we should give, between zero and 65, and then put it in a basket, and then we read. Who do you think you are to tell them what to do? I tell them what to do. Nobody talks against me. I said, I would like you to keep quiet and let them vote. No, I'm going to move you. I said, well, until then, I want you to get out. I'm not going to get out. I said, then be quiet. I cannot be quiet. I said, okay. I took my telephone, 911. Somebody disturbed my meeting. I am Pastor Goya. She said, are you crazy? I said, yes. <laughs> Hold, hang up the phone. I'm leaving. Hold on a second, please. Please leave, and then I'm going to tell them that everything is fine. She left. Thank you so much. Bye. She came back, opened the door. Oh, I'm going to terminate you. I said, you don't look like Schwarzenegger. You know. Now, I should have been a little more mature, a little more kind. But she says, ah, I'm going to terminate you. I said, ah, 92 years old, I'm not sure about that. She dedicated her love and power and energy and influence to destroy me and my wife. And she started to call every church member every day. Are you on his side or my side? And then she started to call the conference. And then she started to write letters to the conference and to the division and to the union. <coughs> he spoke against Sabbath. He said that we should keep Sabbath, but if we keep Sabbath and don't know Jesus, we still don't gain anything because Pharisees kept Sabbath, but they didn't know Jesus. And so he talks against Sabbath. And she was twisting my words and she was hunting me and she made my life miserable. Every board meeting, every church meeting, every it was just a pain. When somebody does that to you, Sabbath in, Sabbath out, and during the meetings, and all the time, after a month, two, three months, you get tired. So my wife and I decided to pray. And we prayed for the church, and we prayed for her. And we decided not to fight. Remember, when Sambalat came to talk to Nehemiah, Nehemiah said, I have better things to do. I cannot come down because I have a work to do. So my wife and I decided that we have a work to do. God didn't call me there to fight. God called me there to serve. So we kept visiting, preaching, doing evangelism, Bible studies, visiting the sick, and didn't spend my energy fighting her. Because when there is war, doesn't matter who wins, everybody loses. In the church, when there is war, everybody loses. Satan wins. Doesn't matter who is victorious. There will be casualties. And so Jesus came to bring unity. Satan came to bring division. And so members would call me, Pastor, we are on your side. I said, no, 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 please don't be on my side. Really? I said, don't be on anybody's side, be on Jesus' side. She cannot fight. To have war, you need to have two parties. And I'm not fighting, so she is alone, so she cannot fight because she doesn't have anybody to fight with. So I'm not going to fight. Please do service. Visit the sick, preach. Don't spend your energy fighting. I'm not going to allow it. Division in my church. Oh, okay, Pastor. We kept praying. Nevertheless, to be honest, I hated her from the bottom of my heart because she made my life miserable. Okay, we kept praying 
and I refused. I did my best not to fight her. And I said, Lord, how can I love her? I mean, come on, I love Dana, my wife, but I cannot love this lady. How can I love her? Teach me how to love. And we kept praying, and we kept praying, and we kept praying. Three months later, she fell on ice. She broke her hip, her leg, her hand. She went in the hospital. A week later, she died. I didn't pray for that. But anyway, my wife says, go and visit her. I said, mm not going to do that. My wife says, then get out of ministry. I am not going to do that either. And my wife said to me, didn't Jesus, your Lord, say that even pagans love those who love them, but you are to love those who hate you? Those who made, to, to turn the other cheek, to, 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 to give even the coat. Doesn't Jesus say, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hate you? Doesn't? Doesn't Jesus on the cross say, forgive them because they have no clue what they do if they knew? They, they, Satan is controlling, please forgive them. Doesn't Jesus say that? How can you be a pastor if you don't learn that lesson? Maybe God brought you here for her. I said, Pfft, you need to love her. I said, she's unlovable. And my wife says, well, maybe God brought her here for you. You cannot be a real pastor before you learn to love her. Well, I didn't like my wife anymore. I said, if you want, you love her. I said, Jesus loves her and that's enough. I don't have to. But then I said, okay, I go and visit her in hospital. Don't you go empty-handed, buy flowers. I said, okay, I'm going to buy flowers. I went to Aldi. I purchased the cheapest possible flowers, two forty-nine. I mean, she was, why would I spend my money for her, you know? And so I got the cheapest flowers. I go to hospital. I open the door, and she sees me. And when I go close, she gets the hand, the left hand, the right, the good hand. And she takes the flowers and hits me in the head and breaks the flowers in my head. And she says, I hate you. Get out. In my mind, I don't like you either. Bye. I go home. My wife says, did you visit her? Yes. Did you pray with her? No. Why? She didn't talk. She hit me with the flowers. She said, well, it means that you didn't mean it. Go back. I said, you go back. She said, no, you go back or get out of ministry. She says, you just don't get God's grace for you. And then my wife said to me, you really need to repent. I said, she needs to repent. She hit me with the flowers. She has been criticizing me. She has been, I refuse to fight. And look how I pay. This is the payback. And my wife says, you really don't understand what you preach. And my wife says, I don't, I don't have time to deal with this. We have visitors. Go in the garden where nobody can see you and pray that God would forgive you and show you who Christ is so you can forgive her. And my wife said to me, today you need to decide if you want to be a pastor. If you really want to be a pastor, go in the garden and pray. Not for her. You have been praying three months for her. It's time for you to pray for you. I went in the garden and I said, Lord, I really hate this lady. I got to confess. Would you help me love her? Because I don't know how to do that. I, I, I don't love anybody except, I mean, I can say, hey, I love you. But that's a lie because I don't know you. And for me, I mean, if you are in need, I help you. If you are in need, call me, I help you. But I love my wife, that's it, period. You follow me? <laughs> I'm exaggerating to make a point. Love is not a feeling. And we don't talk about love right now. Love is not an emotion. I don't feel that I love you. Love is a principle where you care for the neighbor or for the stranger or for the enemy. You don't have to agree with them, but you have to care for their salvation. You follow me? So yes, I love you in that way. I don't have the feelings that I have for my wife, but I care for you. 
But I said in that moment, Lord, teach me how to love her because I hate her. I don't feel any type of love. And God put in my heart, you don't need to feel it. And yes, you struggle with it. But I want you to be able to sacrifice self for her. And that was for me new light. What? And it came in my mind in that second when Israel wanted to stone Moses. And Moses goes to God. And God says, let me destroy them. And Moses says, better take my name off from the book of life. You know what that means? Not only death, eternal death. Take my name off from the book of life and save them. They were his enemies. We don't need Moses. Let's stone him and get another leader. You remember? And Moses says, I would rather be lost, eternal loss, and save them. That's godly love. And God put in my heart, you cannot be a pastor, you cannot be like Jesus, you cannot be a Christian, period, before you are willing to sacrifice self for her. And you'll never win her or anybody else, in fact, not even yourself, not even your children, you'll never have influence upon anybody before you are willing to die for that person. You have no right to tell somebody what to do before you are willing to die for them. Hello? So I prayed one of the toughest prayers of my life, Lord, Save this lady. And if it takes my life, I am willing to give my life. When I said those words, it was like pulling teeth. I, I was unable to say, take my life. I said, Lord, I, I really don't want to say this, and I'm not sure if I mean it. But Lord, I give you permission. If her salvation takes my life, take my life, because Jesus would have died for one soul. And Jesus came to die while we are still not only sinners, but in Greeks is enemies. Jesus was willing to die for enemies. So, Lord, I'm willing to give my life for this lady. When I prayed that prayer and I was willing to sacrifice self, I finally had peace. Until then, I was struggling with it. I finally had peace. And I went in the house and my wife looked to me and says, you prayed, didn't you? Yes. Now you go and visit her. I made cookies. Uh, I said, when I asked you yesterday to make cookies, you didn't. Now you make for her. Okay. I took the Romanian beautiful, amazing cookies, I go to hospital, knock in the door, put the cookies behind my back so she will not throw them in my head. I came to pray for you. I don't need your prayers. I hate you. I said, lady, let me make a confession. I don't want to hear. I said, lady, I need to repent, not you. You do too, but I need to repent. I am not a good pastor. She was in shock. She expected me to accuse her, to condemn, to convince her that she is wrong. When I confess my sin, instead of judging her, she was in shock. What? You are the first pastor who says that. I said, yeah, first pastor and first politician ever, huh? So what? And, and I said, I'm sorry, it's my fault, it's not yours. She says, what do you mean? She was in shock. She didn't see that coming. And I said, you don't like me. But to be honest, I don't like you either. And I hated you. And I, I, I was sorry that you fell, but in a way I was kind of smiling when I heard that you fell, you know. She went, what? I said, I, I got to confess now, so let me confess. And I said, lady, I didn't know what to do. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I realized that unless I love my enemies, I'm not a Christian. And Jesus told me that. And unless I forgive you, I will not be forgiven. And Jesus told me that. How are we going to be in heaven together, David with Uriah, if they don't forgive each other? You follow me? How are we going to be together? I want to go to heaven. So I asked for forgiveness. God, and God forgave me. And I want to ask you for forgiveness because I didn't love you. 
She was in shock. You want me to forgive you? Yes, it's my fault. Please forgive me. You are the first pastor ever to say that, pastor. I, I don't care about the others. I'm talking about you and me now. She says, why did you come to pray for you and to bring you cookies? I don't need your cookies. I said, that's okay. I'll eat them. They are Romanian cookies. They are the best cookies in the world. She says, they do smell nice. Can I taste them? I said, yes. She tasted all of them. She didn't save one for me. And then she says, why do you keep coming? Why do you pray for me? Why would you be willing in prayer to sacrifice your life? I told her, I said, Lord, take my life and save her. Why would you say that for me? No, don't you know that I hate you? I said, yeah, but that's what Christians are supposed to do. That's grace. And she said to me, I want you to hear. When I was two years old, my parents died in a car accident. They left me a big fortune. Everybody wanted my money. Nobody wanted me. I've been in several foster homes, beaten, abused, ta -ta -ta, and I don't want to give the story. I said, nobody loved me. I've been abused so many times in so many families. And then she said, my husband took the money and left. My other husband took the money and left. Nobody likes me. She says, I don't know what love means. Nobody has ever loved me the way you say. And she says, I don't know how to love. I don't know how to treat the church members. I just know that they want money. And she said to me, don't pray for my salvation, it's too late. The Holy Spirit left me. I said, how do you know? You keep the Holy Spirit in a box and you look inside and the box is empty. How do you know? Well, I've sinned. I said, don't we all? No, I sinned a big sin. I said, how big? The biggest. I said, do you think that it's bigger than Jesus' blood? Well, no. Then you are safe. Man, you don't understand, Pastor. 70 years ago, I committed a big sin. I said, lady, 70 years ago, did you ask God for forgiveness? Every day of my life. Lady, you don't have a sin problem. You have a no knowledge of God problem. Hello? The reason she was unable to love and to forgive others was because she has never experienced forgiveness and grace. And she knew a theory of God, but didn't understand the love of God. You cannot give what you don't have. You need to receive in order to share. How can you help people to understand God's grace if you don't experience God's grace yourself? How can you give others peace if you don't have peace? How can you give others joy and hope if you don't have hope? You need to be filled with God's grace to the point that you bubble, you scream and jump and whistle and dance a holy dance and you are happy and then you can give it to others. Otherwise, it's fake, has no power, no influence, no transformation. And she says, I don't know what love is. This is first time in my life when somebody prays that prayer for me. And she says, do you think there is hope for me? I said, yes. Don't you think that the Holy Spirit has left me? No. I said, let me prove it to you. How do you know, Pastor? Let me prove it to you. Do you want to be saved? Yes. Then the Holy Spirit has not left you. I said, she said, how do you know? I said, your human nature doesn't want God. It is the Holy Spirit that says, go back home, like, to the, like the prodigal son. Go back home, your father is going to receive you. The human nature and Satan will say, stay here, don't go home. But the Holy Spirit says, go back, turn around, he'll receive you, go back. If you do want to go back, that's not you, that's the Holy Spirit. You think it's not too late, I am positive. You think I'll be forgiven, I am positive. What shall I do? Confess. I did all my life. 
you didn't have faith. These are of ages. Taking the Bible verse where he says that without faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it's impossible to please him. This out of ages says, we believe and because we believe, we receive it. You follow me? And then she says, to doubt God's promise is, quote, to make him a liar. Jesus' blood is sufficient to forgive any sins you have done, regardless how big, regardless how many. And you say, but if I did it again, if you go to God back with honesty, with broken heart, he forgives you again. And this is what gets my mind. If you seven times, 20 times did it and you go back with honesty and broken heart, he forgives you again. I just don't get it. If you did that to me, I would, I would just kick you out. He forgives you again. And that's the reason God's love constrains us. Because we cannot wrap our mind around it and we say, it's too big to be true. You follow me? And when you start to focus on that cross, when you start to reflect that love, that type of grace, the more you understand the 160,000 years that forgiven in a second, the more you understand, the more you are overwhelmed and the more you say, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And the more you understand that, the more you are filled with God's love and God's presence. The more you understand God's love, the more you are filled with it. And the more you are filled with God, the more your life is transformed because of His love in you without your effort. And the more you understand that and you are filled and you are transformed, the more you love others without effort. In, in, in the spiritual prophecy says, at the foot of the cross, I put it in my words, at the foot of the cross, as we reflect His character, His love, His sacrifice, as we understand Him more and more, we are transformed from grace to grace into His image without human effort. When you the Bible says that we look like in a mirror, and as we look, as we reflect on Him, though we don't see clear, we are changed from glory to glory just by looking. The more time you spend with Him, the more you understand Him, the more you understand Him, the more you are overwhelmed and you love Him. The more you love Him, the more you are filled with His love. The more you are filled with His love, the more you love others without effort. Because His love in you transforms you and makes you like Him. Do you follow me? Therefore, we cannot forgive, we cannot show grace, we cannot love before we understand His love and we are filled with His love. You follow me? The first step in salvation is to get that grace to the point that you are filled with it. And so back to the story. The lady eight seconds left over to preach. <laughs> the lady says to me, do you think there is hope? I said, the Bible is very simple. If you confess, he forgives. That's the Bible. So I want you to confess, and then you are forgiven. I said, I want you to say, Lord, please forgive me. She says, I did. Just say it. Pastor, just say it now. She, she says, you want me to close the eye? Whatever, just say it. Lord, please forgive me. And then I want you to say now, Lord, I believe that I am forgiven. She will not say it. Say it. I'm not sure. I don't feel it. You don't need to feel God. God's forgiveness is not electricity. Oh, I'm forgiven. I felt it. You don't need to feel it. You don't need to smell it. You don't need to see it. It's not colored. You don't need to explain it. It's not science. You don't need to understand it. You need to believe God's word. You need to take God's word for it. If God said, that's it. So I said, you need to believe it. Elena says, don't wait to feel it. I have the paragraph in my presentation. Don't wait to feel it. Elena says, quote, just say it. 
Because the way you talk, is, it influences the way you think. Just say it. I believe. I don't understand. I know I don't deserve it. But I believe your word. Ellen White says it's a choice. I choose to believe. It is by faith. So I said to the lady, just say, Lord, I don't understand. But I believe that you forgave me. I believe that your blood on the cross is absolutely sufficient. And then I said, say, thank you, Lord. I praise you because I am forgiven. She said, thank you, Lord. I believe. I praise you that I am forgiven. And then she says, am I forgiven now? I said, yes. I said, now you can jump and scream. You are forgiven. She says, how? I said, very simple. In the moment you believe, Jesus took his righteousness and put it on you. And took your sinfulness all and put it on him. And now you are as righteous as Jesus. She says, that's it. I said, that's it. So simple. I said, so simple. She says, come close. Ah. <laughs> you want to hit me or something? She says, come close. I said, okay. Come close, pastor. Okay. Come next to me. Okay. She took me with the left hand. She squeezed me. And she started to cry. And she said, nobody has ever showed me love. I thought I was lost. God sent you here for me. I said, no, lady. God sent you here for me. She died a few days later. Do we understand God's grace to the degree that it transforms us to the degree that we become grace to people around? I am not talking about enabling or tolerating sin. I am not talking about agreeing or allowing sin. I am talking about forgiving and instead of hating, rather praying for them that they will repent and be saved. I don't want them to be lost. Do you? To the degree that you reflect, contemplate, think, take time to understand and to assimilate God's love, the more you understand, to that degree you are transformed and you are able to show, share that grace to others around. People who don't show grace is because they have not experienced grace themselves. You know the saying, the more you walk among flowers, the more likely you smell like flowers. The more you walk among grace, the more likely you are going to smell like grace. You follow me? And so, our time is up. My voice is gone. I wanted to read a few quotations. I don't know if we have time. Listen carefully. If we expect our prayers for forgiveness and grace to be heard, we must offer them in a forgiving spirit. We must forgive others to the same manner that we expect to be forgiven. We must open our hearts wide to the love of Jesus and then encourage pity, affection and love to our brethren. Gospel Workers, page 430. We are not forgiven because we forgive. But just as we forgive, we can go back for forgiveness. The ground of all forgiveness and grace is found in the unmerited love of God shown to us. And by our attitude toward others, we show whether we have made that love of God ours. By the way we treat others, we show if we understood God's love to me. That's Christ Object Lesson, page 251. Our time is up. I went five minutes in minus, in debt. <laughs> I want us to finish. 
I have a few more paragraphs. I didn't give you any paragraphs for the morning and for the nine o'clock and for last night because I didn't have time. I have them. Beautiful, powerful paragraphs. I already gave you plenty of stories. I'm not going to give you more stories. But I'm going to say this. Human nature, human pride, human pain, human selfishness, human mindset keeps us from taking these steps. And we are afraid if we tell them that we are not secure. What's going to happen to me? But when you know Jesus, you are no longer afraid. You know that if you obey him, he promised and he will take care of you and he will defend you and he will do justice and he will protect you and he will bless you. And because we are afraid to do what he says, we miss the blessings. You follow me? But when we decide to trust in him and take the steps that he says, we do take a risk. But as we step out in faith, obeying him, we allow him not only to heal us and to defend us, but we allow him to heal the others and to work in us and then work through us. Therefore, there is no benefit to go to church, listen to the sermon, go to the Bible, study the Bible, and not act on it. If the Holy Spirit says to you something, you need to act on it. And if you don't have power, as none of us do, if you don't have power, you say, Lord, I want to do it, but I am unable. You know my nature, so help me. And God is going to help you. But you need to be willing and to give him permission. Otherwise, we lose our time. Go home. You are better off. Why come to church, hear the message, and then do nothing? You follow me? We must be doers, not only listeners. If you act on it and ask God for power, God is going to grow you more and more and more. And then God can use you. The reason we have no power and no results is because we don't trust that God can work in us and through us. You need to do what he says and then to trust that he is able and he will keep his word and he will do the change. He promised. He is able. He is going to finish what he started. You don't need to understand how. Don't try to understand God. You'll never understand God. People who wait to understand in order to obey, they will never obey. If you understand how the sea is going to split in order to step in, the, in Jordan or in the sea, you'll die there. You need to trust that God is able and God loves you enough. If God gave you Jesus, what would be easier? To give you a job or the power to show grace or what is it? Or to give you his son on the cross. If God gave you Jesus... That's more than the whole universe. Then he will give you the other things. You don't need to understand how. You just need to give him permission and to ask for his help. And you will not see a change. Pastor, I prayed that prayer yesterday and I am not a new man. That's a lifelong process. You need to do that every day. And he will work on you. And God in front of the universe would prove that though you don't know when and how, he will save you. And when you get to heaven, you will say, I don't know where it happened. I don't know how you changed me. I don't know why you did it but i know that i am here and you are going to take your crown put it at his feet and say it's yours i don't deserve it but you know what i don't care to give him my crown as long as i am with him you follow me he is able and he will he will keep his word in front of the universe god makes himself responsible for your salvation if you give him permission he will not fail 
If he saved the woman at the well, if he saved the thief on the cross, he can save anybody. You follow me? Stop trying to wonder, how do I do that? Just ask him to do it. Every day, as God would impress you with one message or one prayer or one study or one sermon or whatever, one story in your life, as God impresses you, act on it. Go to prayer right away. Say, Lord, I give you permission. I want to do it. I cannot do it. I give you permission. Do whatever you want. If you want, hit me in the head. Do whatever you want. Please, work in me. And you will see, as you look back later in time, two, three years later, you will see that God has been faithfully working. I don't have time to tell you more stories, but when I was, for instance, in Southern or in Andrews, we had a tough time. We didn't have money. We didn't have food for many days. And for me, that's the end of the world. When I don't have food, I die, you know. We didn't have food. We didn't have this and that. We could not pay our bills. And we gave him permission to work, and nothing happened. We didn't receive. It didn't rain with money. We, nothing happened. Is God didn't answer our prayer. And we kept praying. And as I started to pray less for money and food, and I started to pray more for my neighbors, I started to focus more on the classmates. This one from Europe, his wife had cancer. This one from Africa, his parents died in an accident, and he had seven brothers and sisters younger alone at home. This one, and as I visited other families that had worse than me not having food, I started to realize that instead of Focusing on me and getting depressed, I would rather focus on them and bless them. And as I started to visit others and pray for them, I, I was no longer depressed and stressed because I don't have food. You follow me? And because I, I'm no, I don't have money to pay my bills. And then God worked through miracles. I mean, somebody knocks in the door. I open the door. He says, are you a very strange name? I said, no, my name is Goya. But do you know that family? Yes, they lived here, they graduated, they moved back to South Africa. Well, I'm in trouble. Why? His wife used to fix my clothing, and I have this leather jacket that is broken here. Who is going to fix it? I said, praise the Lord, my wife will fix it. How much do you pay for it? Work, money, food, you know. He said, 20 bucks. I said, okay, give me the jacket. I called Dana. Can you fix this? I said, can you give the 20 bucks? Yes. While my wife was fixing, I ran to Apple Valley. I purchased some yogurt and some bread and some potatoes and this and that, and I didn't wait to get home. I started to eat on my way back, you know. When I got home, it was fixed. I said, praise the Lord, I got food for today. And the guy says, you don't have food? I said, well, not a lot. He said, well, my, uh, my farm was blessed. We, this year we got so much. He says, I have a, a trunk of food that I want to share with somebody and I don't know who. Ooh, my eyes were like, ooh, you know. Uh, he says, can you use it? Duh. <laughs> he unloaded seven boxes of produce from his garden in our living room and I was like whoa like the lepers that went out and and the, the Syrian army was gone and all the spoil was there I was like whoa and my wife says don't touch it I said why we visited several other families that don't have anything let's divide it equally among those families my wife divided it in equal boxes and he ke she kept a box for us and then we visited the other families and we shared and they started to kiss me and to thank me that God used me to bless them because they were struggling and then I got home, and three days later, the guy comes back and says, I need your wife to fix this. Do you still have those vegetables? No. How much do you eat, guys? I said, we didn't. We shared with several other families that don't have. You shared it? Yes. Well, let me give you more, because I have my trunk again. The whole winter, he came every week, once or twice, and he unloaded his trunk. And we shared with those families, and several families were fed that winter, until my wife then found a job and things started to go easier. 
But the more we focused, not on self, but the more we focused on service, the more God started to take care of us. When you step out in faith and you stop focusing on you and you start sharing grace and you start focusing on God's character, the more you do that, the more God can work in you and through you. I don't want to give you another story. Let's bow our heads. Step out in faith. When God calls you to do something, ask him for help and do it in faith. If you die, you die. Anybody, anybody dies. We all die eventually. But at least you obey God and put your faith in him. And you will see, taste and see how good he is. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we certainly don't understand a drop of your grace. In eternity, we will never fully understand your love. Angels don't understand your love. Please, help us to desire to know you, to spend time daily reflecting on your character and your sacrifice and your life and your promises and your miracles and what you do for us and, and your love and to know you more and to trust you more and to be filled with your love and to share your love with others that don't deserve it as you share it with us. Please work in us because we cannot do it. We believe you can do it. We believe you keep your promise. We pray in Jesus' name and thank you in anticipation. Thank you in faith. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.